This morning we are continuing on in a summer series on prayer, specifically talking through, looking through some of God's priorities for our praying. How do we know that they are His priorities? Because when we look at biblical prayers, they're the things that God inspired the apostles to be praying about and praying for. So as we look at Paul's praying and other people's praying, what are they praying for? Because it informs our praying. And this morning, we've been, at least the last three that I've done, we've been in the book of Ephesians. We looked at Ephesians 1, we looked at Ephesians 3, and now we're in Ephesians 6, looking at Paul's praying uh, just in that one book, uh, two places where he's prayed uh, just specifically, and in this book where he asks for them to pray specific things. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual boldness. As our middle school youth team goes out, uh, you guys, I would encourage you to, to listen up as you go out to do, to be a part of mission, to spend time with people who are suffering through homelessness or suffering through uh, broken families and, and the needs that are, that are there and looking for the boldness to speak to them a message, a message of hope. Uh, that we have a message. We are a people, a church with a message. And uh, we need the boldness to speak the name of Jesus to people, to give them hope. In Ephesians 6, we're going to read through verses 10 to 20. I'm really uh, looking at verses 19 and 20 this morning, but to give you context, we'll read the passage. Paul writes and he says, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might, so put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on that breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert. Stay awake with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words would be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may still declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We come this morning to hear you speak. We come this morning to to learn from Paul the kind of things that he wants prayed for him. The kind of things that he is praying. That you would teach us to pray 
to pray with your priorities so that we might be useful and effective instruments in your hands. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes elsewhere to the Corinthian church and he says, We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. All right, he says it again here in this passage, I am an ambassador in chains. He's one that's been locked up because of his testimony. But he says we are, and I believe that is something to be embraced and understood by us, the whole church. We are ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal to the world through the gospel, through the foolishness of what we preach, what we say, what we proclaim. Every believer is an ambassador sent to bear witness to Jesus Christ. You have a witness, a testimony. You know the truth and have experienced it. And so you have something, something to tell those who don't know him. We're called as an ambassador to make disciples, to make the gospel known, starting in our own community, Stonewall Farms, and and spreading out to the rest of Judea and Samaria, to the to the ridges and to, to around, to the very ends of the earth. We start in our own community, but Christ has called us to boldness and to witness. We're a church. As a church, we are on mission. We have marching orders, right? And, and you then, as an ambassador, as a witness for Christ, are also on mission. And this requires some boldness. What good is good news? If we don't tell anybody, if we keep it to ourselves, if it's not declared, proclaimed, witnessed to in some form or fashion, this requires some boldness. Max Stiles writes and he says, we need boldness, gracious boldness, boldness rooted in the hope that we have in the gospel, boldness mixed with love, but boldness nonetheless to accomplish the mission, we do need some boldness. You know all this. And so the question becomes, why is it that so often we are afraid? Why is it so often that we are timid, silent, reticent? Why are we complacent and not speaking? We know our mission. We know our calling. We do. You do. I'm not telling you something new. So often what we preach is not something that is new. But the question becomes, why does fear so often win the day? Why do so often I find myself not living out the things that I know? We are afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people will think of us. At least I know I am. I'm afraid to be thought stupid, narrow-minded, provincial. You know, I don't, I don't want them to think low of me or poorly of me. I, you know, we are afraid of not being liked. We're afraid of offending. There's so many, you, you make the list. What are you afraid of? I haven't hit it already. But here's the thing. I believe fully in the context here of spiritual warfare, the enemy wants to keep us silent. The enemy wants the message to be stifled He wants to keep you from moving toward people. 
and engaging and asking questions and, and gently pursuing them and, and speaking the truth as God gives opportunities. He wants to keep you, in other words, in your comfort zone. Complacent. But the church needs courage. We need boldness to overcome our fears and, in a sense, really to do our job, right? To, do, to, to follow our calling, to engage our mission, to reach the world, to advance the kingdom. But where do we find this courage? Unfortunately, often, often we try to bootstrap it. Right? We try to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. I can do this. I can do this. Get our teeth. You know, try to work up the courage. You know, and you know, very often we just we dig deep within ourselves and and look for the strength to do. You know, to make ourselves to do what we really don't want to do. And you know, it's either that or we just don't try. Right? And those seems to be our options. If I can't bootstrap and if I can't really and it really isn't working for me, then I just won't. I just don't. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes again, and he says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Power. And love, love for the lost, self-control, self-control over our fear, over those things that would keep us down and keep us back. Self-control that we would not be driven by, controlled by, under the mastery of our emotions, including the emotion of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or of self-control. We know that we can do nothing without Him, without the enabling power of His Holy Spirit. And He has given us that spirit of, He says, power and so we can do nothing without him and apart from his, his enabling power and grace that we know that, that this witness, this mission that we're called to is the boldness that we're called to have is, goes on the list of things that we cannot do apart from him. Right? But see, if we know that, if we know we can't accomplish this mission, I can't be the witness, I can't be the ambassador that he calls me to be in my own strength and power, I can't pull it off, I can do nothing of spiritual power apart from him, then, then we need him to be at work within us. And so this is where the, the scripture gives us the leading, where do we find this power? How do we receive God's power in our lives to do the things that he calls us to do? And you know the context of Jesus saying, apart from me you can do nothing, is that we're called to abide in him. And I would say this, if you don't hear anything else from, from, from this, I would say this, how do we receive God's power in our lives? And the short answer for it all how trite or how overstated or repeated it is, is prayer. I believe it with all my heart. I believe the scripture teaches it as clear as the day is long. It's just that simple. How do we receive God's power down into our lives? How do we find ourselves full of his spirit? How do we, how do we find the strength of God at work within us? And I think the short answer is, is we are with him. As we seek him, as we ask him, as we knock, seek, and ask on the doors of heaven. It's what Paul does, isn't it? And that's where we come to text. This is what Paul does. See, I believe one of the reasons that Christians and churches are often weak and ineffective is of prayerlessness. Because we go about ministry and we go about our mission without praying, 
without asking, without seeking, without knocking. We, uh, we, we, we rely on our gifts. We, we figure out what we can do. We make plans. We make schemes. And we go forward and we do and we try. And there's spinning wheels everywhere. And there's activity and we're doing stuff. But for effectiveness, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing of, of spiritual power and effectiveness. Paul asked the church to pray for him. He asked for prayer. And what we have here is not an actual prayer. It's interesting, we, in chapter 1 and 3, the last couple times we've done this, we looked at Paul as actually praying, I pray for you. I pray that God would give you a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. And I pray that you would have power together with all the saints. Right In, in Ephesians 3, he prays that that they might have power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And here he doesn't actually pray. He asks them, he tells them what to pray. He puts words in their mouths. So it is a biblical prayer. He's just not praying and he's saying, this is what I want you to be praying. You know, this is, these are the words I want to be on your lips for me, right? He asks for prayer. And he specifically asks for prayer for boldness and clarity in proclaiming the gospel. When's the last time you asked somebody to pray that for you? It's just not the way we pray. It's not the way we think. It's not where we are as often or not. And so as we get to verses 19 and 20 where he says, and also for me, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth so that boldly I would proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to, as I ought to speak, as we all ought to speak this gospel. But I want us to notice the context, which is why I read it this morning, that 10 to 20, this is the, this is the culmination, the apex of a, of, a, of a passage on spiritual warfare that Paul is addressing to the church. And so we need to understand, at least in my opinion, I think we need to understand that fear and silence are a product of us losing our spiritual warfare. That the world and the flesh, my own fears and concerns and self-centeredness, that the world and the flesh and the devil and his powers that be want us silent. And when we are, I believe we're losing Right? And boldness and clarity in proclaiming and speaking, he says, is the fruit and answer to prayer and the work and power of the Spirit. Right? And that's what we see. There's fear and silence and there's boldness and clarity in speaking. And I believe it's a warfare. This is a warfare that he is speaking into, about in the life of the church, but in his own life in ministry. There is an effort, there is a power at work, there is a system that is set up to conspire to keep us silent. As you read the New Testament, from the words and ministry of Jesus to the letters and all of Paul, it is very clear that the church has been entrusted with a treasure, a message. 
2 Corinthians 5, he says that we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And that's where he says we are ambassadors. And God is making his appeal in all of Paul's letters. He's serving the gospel and preaching the gospel and calling the church to rise up in that sense. But there is opposition, there is persecution, there is intimidation, and there is that which is within us, our pride and our fear and our worry about ourselves and our own, not only our own agenda and that we are distracted and whatever, but that we, when we do see it, we, we do not find the power, the courage. And so in verse 10, Paul says, as he's concluding a letter, uh, you know, the whole thing, and he leaves the church with an image, a powerful image of the, of the warfare that we're engaged in, church of Jesus Christ. If Paul were writing it to you, he would conclude it and he would say to you, Finally, my friends, brothers, sisters in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right? Parting words from Paul as he opens this section. It's, I, I love it because he's talking again about power. And I would say to you, look, maybe this is the one, if you remember one thing, maybe this is the one thing that the secret, here's the key to the entire Christian life. I've given it to you a couple different times in a couple different ways, and I believe that it's true, that the key of it is here. He said, this is it, that, that you would be strong, not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, not in your own power, not in your own gifting, and not in your own talents, not in your own abilities and what you can pull off, but that you, you would be strong in your Lord and in the power of his might. Because there is your sanctification. There is your holiness. There is your freedom from the power of sin and its mastery. There is your boldness. There is the clear grasping of the hope that you have. There is everything that Christ has won for us. Everything that is ours and God offers us. Everything that we could then find at work in our lives is here when we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I need the presence and the power of an indwelling, living Christ to bring change, transformation, to empower, to send me forth. I need, this is the key, to live by God's enabling grace and to stop being self-reliant. We see it all through the New Testament. It's going to lay down in the Father and the Son. He tells us to be strong in the Son and to be strong in the Spirit and to be strong in the Father and to wrestle with all of His might. In John 15, 5, He says, Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, then you will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruits of your labors, and all the fruits that you want to bear, whoever abides in me, whoever spends time with me, who knows me, walks with me, prays and talks to me, he who abides in me, he is the one who will bear much fruit. Be strong in the Son, abide in the Son, and you will be 
that which he is creating us to be. What about the Spirit? In Galatians 5.16, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to not gratify the desires, and you need to walk in the Spirit. You need to be strong in the Spirit and in the power of His might. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. As you abide in Him, you will bear the fruits of the Spirit. 1 Peter 4.11, Peter writes and he says, Whoever serves and uses their gifts as one who serves by the strength that God supplies by the power that God gives us as we serve in our self-sacrificial and pour ourselves out in our lives and sacrifice in ministry to others. Where is the power? He says, be strong in the strength that God gives us, and then you will not burn out. Then you will not begrudge it. Then you will not become bitter in your service. Then you will be glad to give yourself away because if you're serving in your own strength, you will burn out. You will be like, I'm not getting enough recognition or I'm not getting whatever this, and I'm just sick and tired of having to do, and we'll burn out and we'll back away because when we work in our own strength, even young men grow weary. Whoever serves, let him serve by the strength that God supplies. And this is the way Paul did it when he tells the church in Colossae, chapter 1, verse 29, he says this, For this I toil, that is their sanctification and presenting the mature in Christ, the work of the ministry in the church. He says this, I toil, struggling with all of his energy, his energy powerfully working within me. Powerful with his energy, strong in his strength. Apart from me, my friends, you can do nothing. Oh, that we believed it. Oh, that, that we would enter into every aspect of our Christian life, longing to see the power of God manifest in us, longing to see him work, to his energy that's what he was praying. If you remember, just looking back in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, Paul is praying down the power of God on his people. That you would have power to see and to grasp and to understand and to know God. Because it is, do you understand it's a supernatural religion that, we, that you and I are a part of? If you even want to call it a religion. I mean, do we, we understand that there is nothing that God is calling us to and doing in our lives that we are capable of on our own? That everything that he has caused you, that he has raised you from a spiritual death and, and he has given us a spirit of power and of life and that everything that he calls you to be and to do is a new spiritual life lived by his power and for his glory? That, that, that the whole thing be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might because we, he says, we are at war. And it's dangerous to forget that we are at war. And so walking through the passage, he says, remember, you know, you want to be able to stand against, and he speaks in verse 11 of the schemes of the devil. Right? In verse 12, he talks about wrestling and he, and he goes at great length that we're dealing with spiritual powers of darkness in the cosmic. You know, we are at war. The devil is scheming. We are wrestling with powers of darkness. In verse 13, you want to be able to withstand or to stand on that evil day because in verse 16, the flaming darts of the enemy are coming out and we're under the enemy's attack. And so we have this great need for armor. And we have, in the end, as he prays for the church and asks for prayer, the need for power. Spiritual enabling. 
the enabling grace and power of God at work in his people. Paul concludes this powerful image, and that's where he builds up toward it again. I love the two things. He says it all flows from the life and the power of the Spirit, the indwelling Christ by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that he has given to us, Christ in us who is the hope of glory. And he gives this image at the end of these two things. He said the the sword of the Spirit, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray all the time in and by the Spirit. All right, so two... Two things in the end, you need to take the sword of the Spirit, you need to be praying in the Spirit. You know, the Word of God in all supplication for the boldness and the power to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish in the midst of great opposition, in the midst of warfare. Paul knew it. I mean, he's got mobs that come after him and stones thrown at him and beatings, and he advances in, in a warfare. You know, if we encounter opposition, we fall all to pieces. And we think the world, and you know, something strange is happening to us. And the only thing strange is that we finally stood up enough that we're opposed, that we've finally spoken up enough that it has engendered some kind of response. But the reality is we are at war. And the more we engage and open our lips to speak the name of Jesus, the more we will experience that opposition. It fascinates me that Paul writes this at the end of this, and he says, pray for me, pray for my words, pray for boldness. It fascinates me because Paul has been about this. He, this, is, this is not his first rodeo. Right? He's writing to the Ephesian church. This is not his first missionary journey. This is not the first church that he's writing to. He has planted dozens of churches. He's already been shipwrecked and stoned. And, you know, he's already had mobs against him. He's already, in other words, this is not his first rodeo. He's done this ministry of preaching the gospel, seeing people converted, churches planted, and all of this. He's, he's been there and he's done that with great success. He founds, in many ways, a New Testament church. And yet here he is at, 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 at some advanced stage of his ministry saying, pray for me for my boldness, so that I would speak as I ought to. You, you, Paul? Like, dude, this is old hat for you. Like, this is your, this is what you do. This is your gift. This is your talent. You could do this with your eyes closed, right? But he says, no, pray for me that I might speak. Paul knows the ability to not get discouraged to not let fear overwhelm him, to not quit when he gets stoned one more time, right? To to persevere when he's under attack and being slandered even by his own churches at times. To persevere, the ability to see hearts changed and to see people come to Christ. Paul knows that none of this is within his power. Do we know that? Do we know that none of this is within our power? 
And this is why Paul, at every stage of his ministry, knows that apart from him, apart from God's power, he can do nothing. There will be no converts. He will crumble under the pressure and he will quit. But by God's grace and only by his grace and power, sought in prayer, called down in prayer, pray for me that the ministry will go forward and the message will stay on my lips, that I won't quit. Only God is able to shore up our courage and to give us the right words and to bring success and to change hearts. And Paul prays and Paul tells them to pray and Paul asks them to pray for him, to pray down the power of God because only in the power of God is the kingdom advanced. We may, be, we may look very busy. And we may have a lot of programs going on. And we might be spinning our wheels like crazy. But only in the power of God is the kingdom advanced, lives changed, hearts converted, believers matured. Do we believe it that unless the Lord builds the house, we who labor, labor in vain? Paul does not hesitate to ask for prayer. He does so over and over in his letters. You know, 1 Corinthians 5.25, Brothers, pray for us. 2 Corinthians 1.11, You also must help us in the ministry, in what I'm doing here, you know, in, in what, help us by your prayers. And interestingly, he never asks what we usually do. And this is one of the reasons for doing this series over the summer as we immerse ourselves in Paul's prayers and some of the other's prayers and if we immerse ourselves in the kind of things that these guys as the church are praying for, I hope a dissonance is being created in you between the things you're praying for and the things that they're praying for. And that being immersed in their praying, our prayers would be formed and shaped and matured and deepened. Because you never find Paul praying for health, wealth, and prosperity. And I know immediately you would say, oh, I don't pray for those things. Really? Take a look at your prayer list. Listen to yourself in prayer. Health, wealth, prosperity. That God would take care of all my needs. One way and another. We do. And I, I'm not saying there are not things like that on our list that we should pray for. There's, there is, I'm, I'm praying, I guess, for more balance and more priorities in prayer. Paul prays, the only time Paul prays for things like that is when it's, it's the health of his witness and the wealth of converts and the prosperity of the gospel and the advance of the kingdom. You just can't find it otherwise in his praying. He asks for boldness. He asks for opportunity. He asks for clarity. He asks for success. Pray for me. As he closes the letter, you know, you might expect him to say something like, pray for me, pray for healing. That last stoning almost did me in. I'm still bruised and battered. When I get up in the morning, I ache. You know, when the weather comes through my knee, I can't even tell you. That, you know, you, know you, you could hear him, you know, you might expect him as he closes his prayer, pray for me. You know, the welts on my back, they're, you know, they sting in hot water, you know, or they, whatever it is that he, he would... You might expect him to ask, but he, he doesn't. 
Pray that it might go forward. Pray that God would use me. Pray that he would give me what I need to be faithful in the calling that he has placed. Come near in power, O God. You know, pray these things for me. Colossians 3, 4, 3 and 4, he says this. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Opportunity. God, give me an opportunity to speak it. Give me an opportunity to, to tell them, you know, you know, let, you know, bring the crowd, you know, hold off the mob just long enough, you know, give enough interest, you know, whatever it is, as you open the door, open people's hearts, that there would be a receptiveness to it. The enemy wants to silence the church. It knows that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That he took on frail flesh and bone, and he lived the life that we failed to live, and he died the death that we that we deserve to die and that we can't afford the debt we can't afford to pay. And he did it all so that we might be forgiven, that we might find mercy before God. Paul says it to one of the churches, I knew nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. This message of the cross, this gospel of salvation, this is the treasure entrusted to the church. This is what we have. This is who we are. This is what we do. Our mission statement, I would just say this as I close, because I'm, you know, as we pray for boldness and as we long for God to give us His power is to be careful. And I would say this, bold does not mean obnoxious. Sometimes we're confused about this. I've seen it. We think being bold is to be rude and disrespectful. To get in people's faces. and That's not what I'm talking about. That is not the mode of operation for the church. Sometimes we use boldness as an excuse for bad behavior. Our mission statement, we, we in our mission statement said we want to be winsome in the way that we do church and engage people. With respect and with love and with humility and with grace. To look for open doors and opportunities to, to engage and to have relationship and to share our own story and the gospel, to meet them in their suffering and to come alongside in so many ways that God opens doors. But it's gracious, not obnoxious. We want boldness to step through the door, to invite, to share, to tell, to encourage. Prayer is the means by which we appropriate the Spirit's power in our lives. Let us pray down that power. In our small groups, when you meet, share your prayer requests, pray for each other. But one of you, just to throw the rest off, instead of asking for healing and for comfort or whatever it is that you are on your mind, just one time, just ask the group, pray that I would be bolder at work. Pray that, pray that God would give me an opportunity with the people I work with, that the door would be open because I long to share Christ. So pray, pray that I would have a desire and a boldness and pray that opportunities would be given to me.
Just once. <laughs> no, but in our small groups, let's, let's pray down the power in our ministries when we're meeting and we're planning and we think we got it all figured out, but then let's, let's back it up and pray down the power of God, asking him to advance his kingdom and to give us the wisdom and the strength and to empower our witness in every way that we would be bold and courageous Pray down the power in our closets and in our ministries. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Father, make us bold. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Thank you that you capture here so much. That is what we need to hear, ways we need to pray, and truth we need to embrace. Oh, Father, would you teach us about our weakness? that we would look for your strength. Show us that for all of our working, we're accomplishing nothing unless you are present in your power, building your house and advancing your kingdom. Oh, teach us to pray. Shape our praying that we might be effective and useful instruments in your hand for gospel and kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen.